Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I want you to turn, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 11. Let's go ahead and make our confession of faith that we like to make on Sunday mornings before I preach. This is part, one of my favorite parts of the service. Let's declare this out loud together. Say, thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. Amen. Praise God for that. John chapter 11. We'll begin reading in verse 17. Before we read, let me preface what we're about to read for just a moment. Today as we celebrate the joy of Easter, we are reminded of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His resurrection and conquering over death has stood the test of time as the most profound miracle in human history. No other event in our history has shaped civilization as dramatically as Jesus' triumph over death. On his way to his own death, Jesus orchestrates the resurrection of another man, Lazarus, his friend. During this encounter, he makes a statement that should resonate with every person. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. We want to look at the story of Easter in light of this statement today. So I want to read for you this statement. Beginning in verse 17 of John chapter 11, it says, So when Jesus came, he found that he, that is Lazarus, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. This, was, this whole scene was taking place in a village called Bethany, which was two miles outside of Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be killed. He's going to Jerusalem to die. And on his way, he raises somebody from the dead. I just think that's the coolest thing in the world. Jesus is on his way to pay the price for sin. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to go to hell for three days for you and for me. He knows he's going to raise up triumphantly. And on his way to do all of this, he decides to stop at a friend's house and raise him from the dead. God is just way too cool. (laughs) Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary. That's their sisters. That's Lazarus' sisters to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Anybody ever had a moment in their life where they thought, if only God would have acted on my behalf, I wouldn't have been in this situation? I think probably every head nodded on that one. Everybody in their life at some point has asked the question, where were you, Lord? If you'd just been here, things would be different. How many of you know that even in the darkest of moments, God still has an answer? Amen. 
But even now, Martha continues to speak in verse 22. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know, Lord, that he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Then Jesus makes this amazing, profound statement. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into this world. Martha says, Lord, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, don't worry, Martha, he's going to live again. And she says, yeah, I know he's going to live like in the last day, like, you know, when it's all said and done, when, when God ties the bow and finishes this thing called earth and we all get resurrected and we all go to heaven and, you know, chariots of fire. She says, I know that's going to happen. Yeah, that, that'll be someday. She says, that's the resurrection I'm thinking of. But Jesus flips it on her and he says, no, 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 Martha, I am the resurrection. That thing that you're hoping for in the future, I'm it. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus is saying, he makes two statements here. I am the resurrection and I am the life. Two statements. When he says, I am the resurrection, he's saying that he is the only one who has the power to override death. He's the only one who has the power to override death. Ephesians chapter 2 is an amazing passage of Scripture, and it tells us that while we were dead in trespasses and sins, Christ died for us so that we might live. Theologians call what happened on the cross the substitutionary work of redemption. The substitutionary work. You know what a substitutionary work is? Substitute. Anybody ever had a substitute teacher? Those are the greatest days. <laughs> you get to watch movies. Now what happens when a substitute comes in? They do the job of the teacher. There's a swap, right? What Jesus did when he was on the cross is he swapped you for him. You and I deserved to be the ones hanging on the cross. But because of his substitutionary work, he flipped the script and he swapped us for him. It's amazing. And he says, I am the resurrection. I'm the only one who could have died in your place. I'm the only one who was able to do a substitutionary work. I'm the only one who was able to swap out for you. Why? Because I'm the resurrection. I'm the only one that has the power to override death. There's a phenomenal phrase in the book, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from C.S. Lewis. Did anybody ever read that book or watch the movie? I read those books when I was a kid. There's an amazing moment when Aslan, the lion, who is the type the, the allegory of Jesus. When he raises back from the dead and he 
the, the, the book talks about how the stone table that he was killed on was broken. And Lucy and Susan turn around because they're leaving so dejected that Aslan has died, the mighty lion has died. And they hear this sound and they turn around and then they see Aslan and he's back. And, and Lucy, she goes, I thought, you were, I thought you were dead. We watched you die. We watched him kill you. And he said, he said, there was a deeper magic that the witch didn't know about. Because if she had known, she would have realized that when innocent blood is shed for another who's not innocent, even death itself must work in reverse. Man, C.S. Lewis had such a way of saying things. He said, even death itself must work in reverse. Why did Jesus say, I am the resurrection? Because he was the only one powerful enough to work death backwards. We go to 1 Corinthians 15. We don't have time to go there, but he says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where's your sting? Do you realize that Jesus, even Jesus, by dying on the cross, took the sting out of death? Oh, man. I mean, if you're a Christian today and you die, Think about this for just a minute. If you're a Christian, you die in Christ. What happens? Worst case scenario. Let's say the worst case scenario happens. A piano falls on you when you leave church. Anybody ever seen one of those on a, you know, you know they, let's say a piano falls on you after you leave church. What, worst case scenario. What happens? You're immediately in the presence of Jesus. Even death has had the stinger taken out. Even the worst thing that could ever happen to you turns out to be your best day. Do you realize that Jesus has sapped all of the victory out of the kingdom of darkness? Jesus has drawn out all of the sting of death by rising from the dead. He said, I am the resurrection, Martha. I love that 1 Corinthians 15. You can go read it sometime later on if you get a chance. He says, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, grave, where's your sting? Did you ever take, did you ever see a bee Without a stinger? No? Claire said no. Okay. That's fine. What is a bee without a stinger? It's just an annoying fly with a pretty jacket. Right? It's just a colorful fly. It's annoying. Do you know that the worst thing that death is to a Christian is just a mere annoyance? Why? Because... Jesus himself is the resurrection. Jesus is saying here, I am the one who has the power to transform human existence and breathe life into death. I am the resurrection. Then he says, I am the life. Anybody ever heard of people who are living the life? You hear that statement before? Living the life. Man, he's living the life. Jesus is saying, I am the life. I am the one who can sustain your life. Go to John chapter 10, verse 10. This is an amazing scripture. John chapter 10, verse 10. This is where, the, this is where Jesus contrasts his mission with the enemy's mission, with the devil. He says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. 
But I have come that you may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus is clearly identifying for us the difference between what he does and what the enemy does. There is a devil. He's real. If you ever wondered why there's so many terrible things going on in the world today, it's a real easy answer because the devil's here and he hates us. So he works overtime to make human life as miserable as possible. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came with an answer. He said, I am the life. I'm the resurrection and I am the life. The thief doesn't come but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. God's not interested in merely snatching you from hell. He's interested in bringing you and giving you the highest quality of life that you could ever have right here, right now. You understand that there's a joy and a contentment and a peace and a satisfaction and grace and life that belongs to us who are in Christ. You can't have a better life than to live with Jesus, than to be in communion and fellowship with him. He said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. I am the one who can sustain your life. He came not only to give us life, but to sustain us and lead us through life. You have an advocate. You have somebody who loves you and cares about you. You have somebody who wants to lead you in the way that you should go so that you don't stumble and fall. These are only things that he can do. I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. Nobody else in human history can say that. Nobody else in human history has ever been able to demonstrate that except for him. The story of the crucifixion, you, you know it. Everybody knows the story of the crucifixion. We talked about it on Good Friday. The scourging, the beating, the whipping, the, the, the absolute, ah, oh man. I, I, sometimes I don't even have words to describe how horrific the crucifixion was for Jesus. He became, he literally became sin. He became the thing that God the Father detested so that you and I could become the prized possession of God. Go with me, if you would, to Luke 24. We see Jesus die, and we see him say these three eternal words, it is finished on the cross. He hangs his head. The Bible says he breathed his last. They remove him from the cross they bury him in a borrowed tomb I think that is the coolest thing in the world how many of you have ever caught, caught that? did you ever notice that the tomb that they buried him in was borrowed? why was it borrowed? he wouldn't need it in a few days isn't that amazing? The tomb was borrowed. They lay him in a borrowed tomb. We know the story. He goes to hell for three days. And then on Sunday, he raises back from the dead. My friend Dominic Russo says, The resurrection distinguishes Jesus from every other man in history. It's what makes Christianity more than a religion. 
We pick up the story in verse 1 of Luke 24. It says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. Say, duh. Wouldn't you be greatly perplexed? As they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, these men said to them, oh, this is such an amazing phrase. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. But he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Don't you remember? He promised you that this is what was going to happen. He's not in the borrowed tomb anymore. He doesn't need it anymore. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He ain't here. He rose just like he told you he was going to. I want you to see something in this and in the scripture we're about to read before we close. I want you to see in this. He told them exactly what was going to happen. He prepared them exactly for what they would experience. And then, even after he raises from the dead, he still shows up again to show himself to them so that they would believe. It's amazing. One of the things that I often see, or excuse me, I often overlook, but is so present in the story of the resurrection is that Jesus did everything. He went above and beyond to validate who he was during this whole thing. He told them, here's what's going to happen. They're going to crucify me. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be buried for three days. I'm going to raise up from the dead, and you're going to be blown away that I came back from the dead. And then after I come back from the dead, I'm going to show myself to you multiple times, and you're going to get to touch my handprints, and you're going to be able to get to see that it really was me. Jesus went above and beyond to validate himself to you. It's amazing. They remembered his words, verse 8. They returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Scripture goes on to say that they didn't believe it. They're like, no way. No, he couldn't have done that. So Peter and John run to the tomb. John gets there first. He's a little faster, a little, little better shape. He had his Reebok pumps on that morning. Runs into the tomb. No, he's, Pete, he's not here. And they return back to the rest of the group with joy. Now look at John chapter 20. This is amazing to me. This is where Jesus shows himself to the disciples. This to me, this scene here, and John 20 is just as important as the ones we read. Look at verse 19. Then on the same day at evening, this is the same day that the ladies see him at the tomb. The same day that they see those angels and the angels say, he's not here. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. That evening... Being the first day of the week, the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. They were terrified that they were next. 
They watched Jesus get murdered. They were afraid they were next. Jesus came in. This is amazing. The doors were shut. Jesus came in and stood in the midst of them and said, peace be with you. That freaked them out. Here they are in a room, doors, windows locked. They're shut in. They're terrified. And Jesus just shows up, just appears in the midst of them. Freaked them out. No wonder he said, peace be with you. In other words, hey guys, chill out. It's okay. It's just me. Peace be with you. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I think it's amazing that the first two things he said to the disciples after he raised up from the dead was, Peace be with you and peace be with you. Now we know Jesus was Jewish, right? Y'all remember that? So what would he have said if he was saying, peace be with you? He would have said, shalom, right? So Jesus, the first two words out of his mouth are shalom, and then shalom. What does shalom mean in the Hebrew language? It means peace and wholeness. We like to say it this way, nothing missing, nothing broken. I said it on Friday, like a pizza with no slices taken out. Perfectly whole, nothing missing, nothing broken. Jesus, triumphant from death, having just come out of the grave, the first thing out of his mouth is the thing that God had been wanting to say to to, to humanity for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Guess what, guys? You're whole. You're complete. I put it all back together again. The first words out of Jesus' mouth. Guys, guess what? I just came back from the heavenly court. I just came back from the heavenly holy of holies. I've just been with my father after I raised from the dead. Guess what? Peace, wholeness, completeness. You don't have to live a fragmented life. You don't have to live a life full of despair. You don't have to live a shattered life. You don't have to live an existence where this is missing and that's missing and this is missing and this one took this from me and that took that from me and life took this from me and I left my heart here and I left parts of my heart there and I left myself all over the place and I'm shattered. You don't have to be shattered because the first thing Jesus wanted you to know when he rose up from the grave is you can be whole. You can be at peace. You can be sustained. Why? Because I am the resurrection and I am the life. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin. Everybody rags on Thomas, man. Old, old, doubting Thomas. No, Thomas just didn't, he just missed the appointment. He was just, he went out for some cheese fries and he came back and, oh man, y'all saw Jesus? No way. Everybody gets down on Thomas like he was some butthead. He wasn't. He just didn't happen to be there at that moment. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to him, unless I see his hands and the print of the nails, and I put my finger into the print of the nails, and I put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe you jokers. And after eight days, his disciples were inside again. 
This time Thomas is with him. Jesus came, again, the doors being shut, just materialized in front of him, and said it again, peace be unto you. He said to Thomas, Tom, reach your finger in here. Look at my hands. Reach here and put it into my side. Don't, don't be unbelieving, Thomas. Believe. Rather than rebuke Thomas, he gives Thomas the exact same opportunity for him to be validated that he gave the other apostles. We often think, I mean, Thomas just gets such a bad rap. Did you know that Thomas went on to be the man who went to India after the Lord left and sent them out into the world? Do you know Thomas single-handedly evangelized much of Asia? And he set up shop in the nation of, of what is now India and converted millions of people to Christ. Thomas wasn't a doubter. He just stepped out for Coke and fries just at the wrong moment. And he just missed Jesus the first time around. But the next time Jesus comes back, he came in knowing, knowing that Thomas wanted to believe. Knowing that Thomas wanted to believe. And what did he do? Gave him, a, gave him the same opportunity they gave the other disciples. Hey, hey, Tom, come here, come here, come here, come here. Put your hand right here. See that it's me. Look, it's me. You saw him when they drove the nail in there, didn't you, Thomas? It's me. You see the side where they jabbed me with that spear and blood and water flowed? It's me. I want you to see that no matter what your life has looked like, God wants to give you every opportunity to believe. No matter what life has done to you, no matter where you've been and what you've walked through, he is ready to meet you even in your doubt, even in your questioning. Thomas, look at his response. This is amazing. Verse 28. Thomas said, My Lord and my God. He fell on his knees and worshipped him. Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. This isn't a rebuke. This is a congratulations. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who is that? Everybody in this room. That's us. You get a blessing on your life when you believe even though you weren't there that day. And truly, the best, the best two verses in this are still to come. Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Watch this. And that believing you may have life in his name. Why can you have life in his name? Because he said to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He that believes in me, you could die today and you would still have life because you believed in him, because you put your trust in him. Would you stand with me to your feet this morning? I love how even in the face of doubt, Jesus still gives Tom, old Tom, I can't wait to meet Thomas when I get to heaven. I, I'm telling you, I want to meet him. 
Thomas, tell me, what was it like? What was it like when Jesus made a special trip back to the upper room just for you? What was it like? (laughs) He's so faithful. He's so patient. God is so patient with us. He's so filled with loving kindness and tenderness and mercy. He wants the very best for you. You have to learn to believe that. He wants the very best for you. I read a quote, and I'll close with this before we pray. It's from a man named Charles Colson. Does anybody know who Charles Colson is? Well, was, not alive anymore. He was one of the, the chief legal counsels for the Nixon White House. So he was uh, part of the White House back then. He went through and was one of the chief legal counsels during Watergate. He makes this quote. I think this is amazing. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead, and then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison, and ultimately killed. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie going for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. (laughs) I just came across that quote the other day. I thought, that's the coolest thing ever, man. That's awesome. Jesus gives us every opportunity to put our trust and our confidence in him. I believe that he is the life. I believe that he is the resurrection. I believe that he's everything that he said that he was. And I believe that he's alive today. The Bible says he's seated in heaven next to the Father at the right hand of God. In control of the universe. He has the authority He's the boss. He's in charge of this thing. And you and I get to become, we we get a part to play in his story, in his life, and what he wants to do in us. There's an amazing plan that God has for your life. There's an amazing thing he wants to do in you and through you. He wants to accomplish great things through your life. And he gives us the opportunity to believe, just like that scripture said, verse 31. These things are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing in Him, you'd receive life. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.